Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Speak the Language podcast. This week's episode I'm excited about in particularly because this is probably one of the most popular topics that we get asked about, and that is the whole, I guess, the whole area of conversation based around whitetail management. And so we've talked about that before. We're going to continue to talk about it in the future, and I like bringing in different people for that. I like bringing in different people to talk about what they've seen, people that have a lot of experience. Uh, I think it's, it's good to get varied ideas and opinions on that topic. And so this week we brought in Jimmy Riley. Jimmy Riley has been running Giles Island for the past 24 years. And Giles Island is the kind of place that really doesn't need an introduction. If you've grown up, especially in the southeast, I know from firsthand experience, there's no doubt that you've heard about it if you're a whitetail hunter. But their influence goes well beyond the southeast. They're known all throughout the country, and for good reason. They have consistently been killing big deer on that island for years, the kind of big deer that are unprecedented in the southeast. And since they're along the Mississippi River, it was a really fun conversation for us because there was a lot of things we could relate to back to Cottonmouth, and it was also incredibly interesting to pick Jimmy's brain on what they've done over the years to get that place to where they could kill deer like that so consistently. So sit back and enjoy this conversation. And lastly, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, please do us a big, big favor. Take a little bit of time, head on over to iTunes and check out the Primo's Speak the Language podcast page. Give us a rating, write us a review. Enjoy the show. Now we're recording. We're live. We're not live. Semi-live. Semi-live. Okay, so uh, this week, usually during the deer season when we're recording, we record from Cottonmouth, but we're not at Cottonmouth right now, Jordan, are we? We're still on the Mississippi River, but we're a little bit farther south. We are at a... Uh, place where I started my journey. We're at a place, so um, the thing that's cool about this, just for me personally, like for selfish reasons, like... I don't even remember the first time I heard of Giles Island, but I think like my entire hunting career, I grew up knowing what Giles Island was and just dreaming about setting foot here, honestly. So I wanted to take advantage of that. So Jimmy Riley is here with us this week. And uh, how long have you been with Giles? Lake, you just made me feel real old, son, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here, uh, it'd be going on 24 years this coming May. Okay. So the thing that is, is always, like when we do this podcast, uh, all the time we, we put out like, uh, I guess, feelers on our social media accounts and tell like, all right, you listen to the podcast, you tell us what you want us to talk about. You know, give us topics you want to hear about, that sort of thing. And so we always try to do that. And one thing that we always get constantly, constantly is like, talk about deer management, talk about food plots, talk about habitat, talk about how you grow a big deer, talk about how do you manage your deer herd how do you you know what you're shooting at cottonmouth and so and we've done that several times and i think it's cool to get it from you know different people that have have different perspectives and are managing different ground and quite honestly in my mind i'm not trying to just blow smoke i mean i think it's safe to say like giles i mean more than just the southeast there's people all over this country deer hunters that have heard about giles island have heard about the kind of deer that y'all take off this place and so I thought it would be best to sit down and have a conversation with you and talk about some of the things that y'all have done over the years to get this place to what it is and for having the reputation that it has. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's been a lot of work put in over <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears over all these years by not just me. It's been a team effort, that's for sure. And uh, this, this was my passion ever since I was a kid. That's all I've ever wanted to do, and I just fell into the job 24 years ago. And it's been a journey, that's for sure. But uh, 
and we've been successful. <clears throat> I hear a drone. They must be flying. <laughs> somebody, somebody's, yeah, somebody's else. Yeah. One of y'all's crew is flying a drone over yeah. us right now. I should. So what we're doing this <clears throat> week is uh, obviously we're here. We're we're like I said. Usually when we're filming shows, our crew we're at Cottonmouth, and so it's kind of kind of doing the same thing because we're still on the river, but it's fun because it's a little bit different. We're on a different, you know, different place. But uh, some Mossy Oak guys here too. So it's been a real fun week so far getting to hang out with those guys and y'all and. Jordan, I know this has been fun for you because this is where you started this years ago. My first job doing anything in the outdoor industry. Oh, Mr. Riley here gave me a gave me a chance. What was he What was he like back then? Jordan showed up. Uh, this was a guide. We have a weekend every every year in August mm -hmm. where we take any candidates that want to be a guide on Giles Island. Mm -hmm. We take them in and we we have a big meeting and just, and you know define the rules and everything and how we operate and what we expect out of everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we go out and we get some free labor out of it. We go <laughs> trim trees and do work on deer stands and all that kind of thing. We're, right. Well, well, Big Country shows up uh, with this white starched cowboy shirt. It was not it's a cowboy shirt. tucked in. I mean, it's so stiff, it looked like it was going to break if he moved. <laughs> and uh, But he was coming to interview for the guy job, and I understand that. And But... Uh, Big country immediately. I knew uh, I was out there working with him that day, and I knew that's the first thing I want out of somebody. Somebody's got a good personality and can mm -hmm. get along with anyone, and then they got to have a good work ethic. Right. And we can teach anyone that wants to learn how to judge a deer. Mm -hmm. You know that that's the second part. But you need to have some woodsmanship skills about you to be right. a guide over here. And, right. Uh, big country had that. I mean, he 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 been in the woods his whole life. You know, as a kid and mm -hmm. all. So he fell right in, and uh, he was he was a great guide for us. I'm, uh, he really was, and uh, <laughs> so they can't, you can't see the podcast. Obviously, but if you saw the smile on George's face, I'm glad we are recording this. <laughs> well, he, he was, and you know, when he told me he wanted to, you know, go out and do something different, now I was happy to give him a good reference. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, I'm glad it's working out for him right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been fun, and and that's one of the things. Like I have to say, um, like we've like the the people you have here. They aren't just somebody you grabbed off the street, you know. I mean, they, everyone that we've, you know, Eric is with Jimmy, and we've been with with Lippy, and I mean, they, these guys know their stuff. They're professionals at what they do. Well, it's it's a weeding process, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. I mean, all you can do is give someone a chance, and right. they can prove themselves to be good or bad, and you know. And we 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 run a short rope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we can't stand you know, a lot of negativity or any or any any uh, you know unprofessionalism. Yeah. So we weed them out pretty quick and yeah. then stick with the ones that, that appreciate the opportunity and want to provide for our guests what we want to give our guests. Yeah. So And I would I would say that that has, you know, shows in 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 what y'all what y'all are doing. Let's let's go into like some of the some of like the management stuff you've done to get where you are. Like like what how much do you think it's has changed since you first started until now? Man, when I first came here this most of this, you know, we have 9,400 acres, and that's right. 15 square miles, and it, it runs from the edge of the river on up to some higher land, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was inaccessible, I mean, which is good, mm -hmm. you know, for wildlife and everything, but we needed to be able to get down in places on a regular basis and, and hunt right. the deer that's back there, so we, we put in a, a big road infrastructure here. I mean, we've probably got over 50 miles of road on the island. Mm-hmm. And we have to maintain that every year yeah. now, so that's a lot of work. But 
Um, I mean, when I first came here, the main drag, we call it Bowie Boulevard, going down the middle of the island in July in the drought. You had to have a four-wheel drive, jacked up four-wheel drive to get down the main road. Yeah. And now you can take a, you know, a two-wheel drive car down there if you mm-hmm. want to. So, um, there's been a lot of lot of that going on, just making everything accessible on mm-hmm. a daily routine basis. And we put in a lot of food plots. Yeah. There were some here. Um, the old club used to plant nothing but ryegrass, which is, you know, useless, really, mm-hmm. for game, for deer management. So we established uh, some different food plots. We established some really big destination food plots. Right, yeah. And uh, uh, scattered across the island. So that's been a that's been a big part because uh, without those destination food plots, you can't really see what, you, what kind of quality you have right. on your place. Right, right. Uh, and and that just holds a lot of deer close but um yeah talking about deer management um the level of deer management that you can do on your place and and i'm, I'm talking to everyone out there now because everyone doesn't have 9400 acres they can hunt right and the past three years i've been taking some weekends off and doing some hunting i mean i didn't hunt for 20 years yeah yeah i mean i uh, three years ago my daughter Becoming a teenager, I decided I need to be at home a little more, so I started mm-hmm. taking off some weekends, and I get to do a little hunting in the real world. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> in the hills. It, oh, it hurts. Oh, that that's that's pitiful yeah. compared to what we have here on Giles Island. But I, it started bringing back and it made me realize, you know, what we got over here mm-hmm. and a, a huge appreciation of what we have here. So the level of deer management that a person can do on their property is going to be dependent on the amount of acres they have. Right. And what their neighbors are doing. Right, yeah. Hey, don't let yourself end up being the guy at the party that doesn't have a trail cam picture of a big buck to show his buddies. Head on over to primos.com right now and get 20% off any trail camera with the promo code P hashtag truth in all lowercase. Again, P hashtag truth. Don't miss it. I'm going to bust some bubbles right here, I know. Mm-hmm. But if you if you want to really manage a deer herd – and have total control and you know what's going to happen with those bucks in your on your property you're going to need at least three thousand acres mm-hmm. probably five thousand acres in one chunk to be able to really do some good with numbers of bucks the ho- to manage um, the whole herd like to manage the yeah. whole herd like you want to manage yeah it. and that's still depending on what some of your neighbors are doing too because mm-hmm. uh, deer travel a lot further than mm-hmm. folks think they do right i mean that in, in a year's time uh, a buck could go five miles, eight miles, ten miles. You know, he could have a, a home range that he spends in the spring over here and then eight miles away, right. he'll be in December. So mm-hmm. uh, people don't realize that, and, and that hurts some people's feelings because they got this trail cam pick of this big old buck, yeah. Yeah. and then all of a sudden they don't ever see him again. Yeah. Well, that's because he's on someone else's yeah. property. But in that same regard, you might lose that buck, but you might pick up somebody mm-hmm. else's buck. So, yeah. Um, you need to know, you need to provide, you, you know, food, the deer need food, and they cover, and they need water, right? right? All right, so, and that cover a lot of times provides the food and the, and the brow, the mm-hmm. natural vegetation that they need, but you really need to supplement them with food plots, mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily have to supplement with feed, but you really need those food plots, because in the dead of winter, they need that green for energy. Mm-hmm. They need that, and they're going to go to it. But pressure management is, yeah. is huge. And I think that's one thing that, that we do over here really well 
is, mm-hmm. is practice good pressure management. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of what we do. Um, we don't, I mean, we, we have 12 hunters every day, so that's 12 guides. Uh, but I don't let the guides go out there and run trail cameras all over the woods. Right. That's too much, too many boots on the ground, too much scent out there. And if you start going in your woods on a regular basis in there where those deer are trying to lay up in their happy place and you start bumping them out, you're either going to run them off your place or you're going to uh, b- make them become nocturnal. Right. And you never, you never, you'll never get them. Mm-hmm. So we don't do that. We don't do scouting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been here many, many years. Right. They've, they have annual patterns. Most, for the most part, it's the same thing year after year after year. And, uh, so we don't scout. We don't allow scouting. Mm-hmm. We do a little bit in the morning. We might climb somewhere. We might take a different route out and check out a persimmon tree or right. a pine yeah. tree or mm-hmm. oak tree or something like that on the way out, in and out. That's when. That's how we do our scouting. Yeah. But you're not taking a four-wheeler every midday and riding through the woods, checking trail cameras, and have people in the woods all the time. No, indeed. A deer hates a four-wheeler. Right. I mean, the electric bike is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I mean, in the real world, uh, yeah electric is where it's at for mm-hmm. getting around the woods um but we take everybody out in, in four-wheel drive trucks over right, here right. and they don't have big <laughs> redneck mufflers on them right either, so yeah. it's quiet everything's quiet i mean you got to stay in stealth mode all the time so uh but some some big things that we do uh particularly kicks in during gun season mm-hmm now we'll go in the morning hunts we'll go out and we'll hunt ladder stands and we might take a climber on the morning hunts mm-hmm. um but that in the afternoon we're strictly hunting our box stands i mean you're sitting on a green field most of the time every night and we got some box stands in the woods that we might hunt but we don't let anybody venture out away from that because look you can reach out and touch him at 200 yards with a rifle so you don't have to try to get in there tight like you do right. with a bow and arrow so immediately we have created when gun season kicks in in December we have created a whole bunch of mini sanctuaries yeah around the island right when nobody ever goes in there unless they shoot a deer and it runs in there we got to go retrieve it so and also we don't shoot does mm-hmm. on our food plots yeah so our doe harvest is done mostly in the morning so we preserve that uh, that evening migration of deer coming to these food plots mm-hmm. these, these destination food yeah. plots we keep that intact another way we keep that intact is when we shoot a buck on a food plot mm-hmm. we stay in stealth mode we don't start jumping up and down high-fiving and everything we stay in stealth mode inside the box and we don't get, we don't get out until the truck comes and runs the deer out of the field that mm-hmm. way they don't they don't want to know any see human pressure they don't see humans we do not want those deer to see us yeah. getting out of that box stand that's something they'll start associating it with danger if you do that but we, so we stay down even if we whether we kill or not right we stay down quiet in the box stand until the truck comes up runs the deer out of the field they don't see us get out of the box yeah. they're gone and, and here's what happens about about two or three weeks into gun season when you got your field full of deer and then as it starts to get dark, everything starts filtering out of the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know that that truck's about to drive in there at dark. And most of the time, by the time dark gets there, you don't have but just a couple left out there. So that's how, uh, that's a telltale sign that you can train the deer <laughs> right. to do what you want or you, to do what you don't want. Right, <laughs> yeah. 
And that's one thing, and I'm glad you talked about that because that's one thing that I realized first off is just how much y'all pay attention to human pressure on those deer. And then how much of those little things that y'all do that honestly a lot of people probably don't think of that adds up to where you get these mature four, five, six-year-old bucks to come out in these these green fields in the daylight where you can see them. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty pretty impressive. It is, and, um, you know, it just – I'm just, it blows me away every year. I mean, it happens year after year that we'll kill bucks in these big fields three or four days in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, bam, 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 back to back to back. And uh, and these are these are five and six, seven-year-old deer. Right. And walk out in the food plot at four o'clock in the evening. Right. So, yeah, pressure management is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the least intrusion you can have out there. You need to build a happy home, and and you may not have but a hundred acres back home, mm-hmm. but there's a happy spot in that hundred acres somewhere. Yeah. If you can figure out how to stay out of there and keep from scent whipping it, you don't yeah. you don't even want to travel upwind of that area and send your scent off into that right. area. Yeah, if you know he's laying in there. Yeah, because now guess what? If you do that, now he's going the other way on yeah. someone else's property. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, like the the you talking about. 3,000 acres doesn't really it, that doesn't bother me at all because like I said we try to cover all spectrums on this like just a few weeks ago we had uh, a friend of mine and, and Brad talked about it too specifically about folks that only have small tracks to hunt on but there are guys that have bigger tracks to hunt on and so we want to we want to have stuff to cover them too you especially know especially down here in the southeast you know it's big hunting club tracks yeah. and a lot of these things they can implement yeah. and it help them and talk to your neighbors because uh Man, you, you just never know. I mean, if, if you can show them what you're doing is working and, and convince them to get on board with what you're doing and y'all work together, both of you are going to win. Right. Um, you, you don't always win those battles because you always got <laughs> right. old Bubba over there on the side. He's got a 12-acre patch of ground, and he's going to shoot everything across us. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I know that hurts. But, I mean, so, but, but if you know those kind of things, put it in your mind, well, okay, I can't control this over here. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do ultimately everything I want to do. So then your standards need to lower. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you're not trying to let these nine points go to five years old anymore mm-hmm. because you know that they're, they're probably not going to make it anyway because the neighbor's going to kill them. Right. So lower your standards. Maybe you want to go after four-year-olds. Maybe you want to go after three-year-olds if the pressure around in your neighbor's area is so severe. Yeah. So just lower your standards to yeah. a little bit above what they're doing. So maybe, and build that happy spot, and maybe you can graze one or two good bucks a year on your Right, mm-hmm. right. Hey, do y'all think it's too early to start shopping for Christmas gifts? We don't think so, and we want to help you out. So at primos.com right now, you can get $100 off Surround View Blinds. That's right, $100 off Surround View Blinds. Head on over to primos.com and check it out. Is there, like, uh, what what was your, your mindset when you were, like, deciding where you were going to put each individual food plot like what are you looking for well first thing you want to look at is you want to try to find a spot where there's a natural travel corridor to begin with Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean use what's working to your advantage Mm -hmm. if you know deer like this area to begin with and you can blow out a spot and make an opening but you you want some sunlight yeah sunlight's huge i mean That's that's why where a destination food plot comes into play. Yeah, it gets a lot of sunlight. If you watch the deer uh, on these little plots, they don't spend a lot of time yeah. there. Kind of ex- explain what you say, because a lot you know, a lot like me and Jordan know what you're talking about. 
but we have folks sometimes in boxes that are you know new to it when you say destined foods destination food plot or destination food source what are you what are you referring to okay a destination food plot would be uh in in contrast to a honey hole mm-hmm. a honey hole food plot would be some little small plot and you can have some of those too that's great to have those the mm-hmm. deer come spend a little time there and but they're all migrating to that big field where right. it gets tons of sunlight and because the sunlight puts more nutrients in the plant mm-hmm. okay so that's you that's where you want to be and you can have several different stand opportunities around that big field and, and i'm talking about a, a eight to 12 acre field mm-hmm. yeah or 15 or 20 acres if you if yep. your place is big enough right it's you want and those big plots you need to increase the size of them until the deer can't eat them up mm-hmm. by the end of deer season. Right. That's what you're going after. You yep. want to keep that green going all deer season long. And most little tracts of land, they plant, you know, three or four acres worth of food plot on it and wonder about why they don't have any deer in them, you know, come December or January. <laughs> Looks like a because green. It's, yeah, it, it's this bare dirt. They just wipe it out. Because, it's, yeah, it's not enough of it. So uh, if, if there's any way you can do it, uh, a big 10-acre field is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the same thing we've been doing. We're trying to boost acreage every year because the deer eat us, uh, eating us out of house and home, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, it would be the equivalent to, like, uh, our new ground food plot or, like, the Arkansas field food plot at yeah. Cottonmouth. People that watch the show have seen those, and they know how big they are and everything, and that's what you're talking about. As your destination food sources. Mm-hmm. Now, the acorns, you know, and we don't have acorns on the island. We have wild sweet pecan. Mm-hmm. It takes the place of the acorn, and uh, they love them. So that takes pressure off your food plot on years when you do have a good mass crop mm-hmm. of acorns mm-hmm. or pecans. But still, I mean, they go into that green. Yeah. They, 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 they're bright. You know, their their digestive system will not allow them to eat one thing all the time. They, they've got to have different... Uh, sources of protein and nutrients and, and minerals and everything so they're browsers i mean yeah. they get tired of eating pecans all night long mm-hmm. they're coming to that green field in the afternoon so you got as many deer as we have i mean 700 800 900 deer on good years right uh <laughs> you got to have plenty of food plot out there for that many miles yeah. Yeah. I mean, just I think see. if that was cows out there eating yeah you know that's where you got to look at it so um uh, yeah, it's worth the money to get a bulldozer and clear some, uh, you know, take advantage of your logging efforts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best thing you can do in deer management is, is, is uh, you know, selective uh, harvest of timber. And take advantage of that when that occurs. Borrow that dozer from that logger or pay him or whatever to go mm-hmm. do your clearings. Yeah. And think about it. Put some forethought in it where you want your stands before they cut the trees i want to leave that tree because i want to have a lock on up in there Mm -hmm. you know whatever like that so yeah you know think about it before you prepare it yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um going back i know i'm kind of ping-ponging subjects here i just have like i feel like i'm playing 20 questions but uh how did y'all how did y'all end up on like the strictly as far as like what y'all decide to shoot like how did y'all progress to to where you are to ha- now you have with your your ten point your nine points and up rule and your yeah. eight points and your management bucks how did how did you get there that's a pretty cool story how y'all progressed over the years to get to where it is now mm-hmm. yeah that's that's been a long long deal there so uh when i first came they were shooting uh 
it was a big buck program, okay? Mm-hmm. That's what the, they adopted, what the club had before Mr. Bancroft bought the property. And they were shooting, the, the rule was had to be a minimum of eight points and a minimum 16-inch inside spread. And y'all know that to me. <laughs> Today we know that's just. Yeah. You're popping uh, your stud three-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. All right, so so I, uh, after I was here a year, Mr. Bancroft came to me and he says, uh, he said, Jimmy, the biggest thing we've killed is a 150-inch deer. What are we going to do to get, you know, bigger than that? I said, well, you need to quit shooting them. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you want a deer bigger than 150 inch, then you're going to have to have a 150 inch walk. Well, how are we going to do that? I said, well, just, I mean, we weren't selling hunts at that time. This mm-hmm. was 1996, 90, so we didn't start selling hunts till 99. Mm-hmm. I said, well, hey, look, your people aren't paying the hunt anyway. Just tell them what they can and can't shoot. And just tell them they can't shoot him. Just try this for a couple of years. They can't shoot him unless he's 150. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't do that. Nobody had come to the island. They know they can't shoot anything. I said, well, I said, okay. So I had an idea. I remember where I was at when I had this conversation with him. <laughs> we were in the Jeep heading out to the sand field. I said, all right, I'll tell you what you do. Cut the island in half. The east side, keep your 16-inch eight-point rule. The west side, 150 or better. Mm-hmm. He said, that's excellent. That's what we'll do. So that's what we did for two years. And then we decided to start selling hunts mm-hmm. to cover the overhead over here. You mm-hmm. know, because these, these properties, these big pieces of property are expensive yeah, to yeah. maintain and manage. I mean, you got to have people and equipment and, you know, just insurance. And it just it goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we came up with the three-day hunting schedule like we're doing today. Mm-hmm. And I told Mr. Bancroft, I said, we can't keep those rules. I said, we're going to have to hunt the entire island so we need to have a uniform set of rules for the entire island he said okay what do you want so we started shooting uh, if you were bow hunting you had to be at least 130 inch mm-hmm. if you were gun hunting you had to be at least 150 that's on the nine points or more right all right the eight points we were shooting at that time we were shooting three-year-old eight points okay or 16 inch spread eight right points. right all right, so we had two a separation there between eights and nine point or more. And 130 bow minimum, 150 gun minimum. Didn't have to age or nothing, just if they were over that gross score, you could shoot them. We did that for several years, and then we progressed. We bumped that up. The bow minimum went to 140, and the gun went to 160. And, uh, boy, that put some age on some deer. Yeah. And we started bringing in the boners. And um, we were still shooting eight points at three years old. And we took it a step further uh, after a few years of that. And we just started shooting age. Yeah. Um, You know, eight point or less had to be a four-year-old. Nine point or more had to be Mm five-year-old. And uh, we still had a a bow minimum and we had a gun minimum. And it was – 140 with a bow and 160 with a gun. Uh, we did that for a couple of years, and then we came up. I came up with uh, something I still think is unique and, and is probably the best thing to do, but I hadn't sold everybody on it. We did do it for two years, uh, but uh, nobody's, nobody's liking it right now. <laughs> um, but it's a slot. I created a slot, and we ran it for two years where – 
All right, so here it is. The slot was eight-pointer less. We were shooting eight-pointer less. Had to be a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. Okay, the nine-pointer more, we score that deer. As a guide, we score that deer. If he scores less than 135, then we were eligible to age him in the field. Mm-hmm. If he's five years old, we could shoot him. The guide makes the call. All right. If that deer, if you're bow hunting, if that deer scores over 145, that was a bow minimum. You didn't have to age him, just shoot him. If you're gun hunting, if that deer scored over 160, didn't have to age him, you could shoot him. But all those deer between 135 and 145 with a bow or 135, 160 with a gun mm-hmm. were in the slot, much hmm. like a bass slot on right. the lake. The guide was not eligible to shoot that deer unless he was on the hit list. Yeah. And we run our trail cameras, and the way I put a deer on the hit list is I had to recognize him from last year. Look at last year's video. Mm-hmm. If he looked like he was a good solid, at least a four-year-old last year, he's on the hit list this year. Mm-hmm. He's fine. So we had to memorize those, and it worked fantastic. We had our two best years back-to-back. We killed 96 bucks two years ago. We killed 106 last year. Mm. But it's in the – I didn't win – Right. Because these hunters, they want to be able to shoot him the first time he's seen. Right, right. You see? Yeah. It's understandable. I I understand that. I do. I really do. But that's not raising the best bucks that Giles can raise. Right. We make – jury's still out. (laughs) We may come back to that one day. (laughs) Yeah. uh, A slot limit on deer. Yeah. Uh, And it works. But we dropped that this year, and we're back to this year. uh, Eight-point or less. Got to be four-year-old. Nine-pointer more. It's got to be a five-year-old. We have a bow minimum of 145. Mm-hmm. Anything over 145, we can shoot without aging. The gun is 160. Mm-hmm. Anything over one, That's an exceptional deer. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're shooting age. Yeah. And it's working. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you, you saw the wall. The proof is in the put. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the videos y'all have to, that you were showing us when, when we all first got here, I mean, it's – it's impressive. I mean, not for just for. Any, I mean, I don't care if you're talking about the Midwest, wherever. Those are impressive deer. All the places I've been over the last six years, this place right here is still, far as deer management is, I write. You know, it's yeah. what you take notes on. Yeah, really and that's what, it, there's so many like pieces and parts. It's not like one thing you can put your finger on and go. That's what makes it what it is. No, it's the it's the food plots you're doing. It's the pressure control that you're doing. It's the 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 shoot or don't shoot the aging that you're doing there's just so much that goes into it that makes this place what it is and it's I'm, it's impressive it is so impressive it really is and you got to think about you got so many hunters coming here every year and a whole bunch of them get opportunities at a buck that i mean that doesn't happen everywhere not like this when yeah. you're shooting a when you're killing 106 bucks last year that's a lot of deer on the place and you've got that many left to shoot the next year because you're shooting eight. Well, here's the thing. All of those 106 bucks, percentage-wise, we didn't have any more mistakes than we normally have. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're taking 12, 12. We got 12 hunters out there every day mm-hmm. for four months. And I'm going to tip my hat right now to the guides. Right. I mean, they they are what makes this thing happen. By, by being conservative out there and making sure they don't shoot these deer before they're ready. That's the key to it. And, and like I say, all the age structure over these yep. years, the past several years, has been good. We're killing 
the ages that we want to kill. Let, and let, it doesn't matter if you kill every single five-year-old on the place. Mm-hmm. Next we year. Got, we, yeah. got the, we got the three and fours coming up next year. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because this is, you know, this is something I know Jordan knows. We get questions about this all the time. How how long did it take you, do you think? Hang look, on, that wind's bumping. Oh, yeah. We are doing this outside. I guess it's just part of it. Um, how long did it take you time in a tree looking at deer whatever before you felt like you were you know you could competently consistently look at a deer and age him because you know people struggle with that all the time like i know what y'all are saying shoot a four-year-old deer shoot a five-year-old deer you know i don't know what i'm looking at you know what i mean that, right. that's, that's how, a, do, how do i know what deer's for yeah <laughs> oh boy i wish they had it stamped on their side <laughs> or ear tagging them or something you know but uh it is tough uh, there were some good videos out way back in 99, you know, when we started this, and mm-hmm. uh, by some game biologists, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, we watched those to get get us started, you know. Um, but here's the deal. It's, it's pretty easy to tell what a two-year-old is. Yeah, yeah. The three-year-old deer, um, he's going to be – Really, the biggest thing is you compare the size of his rear end with his chest cavity. Mm-hmm. On a, you, he's got to be broadside and it's pref- preferably walking. It's hard to do it when it's standing still. You need to see how they move. But so a three-year-old, the proportion in in size in mass between his rear end and his chest is about the same. When you get to the four-year-old, that chest cavity starts looking a little larger than his rear end. Mm-hmm. And uh, that five-year-old, even more exaggerated, uh, and then you start looking for that that brisket area mm-hmm. and see how developed it is, and a little bit of loose skin maybe just above that brisket, and then right up under his jawline, turkey you start neck. that mm-hmm. turkey neck kind of thing. You look a little bit of that, yeah. the expression on his face. But I'm gonna be honest with you, to tell the difference between a four and a five-year-old. You're just rolling the dice. It's tough. That's why I came up with the slot mm-hmm. because it's tough. I mean, because a, a four-year-old deer is at 90 to 95% maximum body weight and antler growth. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to tell the difference between four and five-year-old? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, we've had some deer walk out here back before <laughs> we're doing what we're not doing now. It's, we've learned a lot over the years. Everybody in camp says, that's a five-year-old deer. Mm-hmm. We blow him down, and he's three years old, mm. and he weighed 250 pounds. Yeah. So body weight has nothing to do with age. We kill 160-pound seven-year-olds. Yeah. So antler size has nothing to do with the age. We kill 165-inch three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I, I shot one over here with a guy one time. Everybody was scarfing at me in camps, making fun of him. Man, I shot a three-year-old buck, finna get a strike, blah, 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 blah. And I remember you pulled the bone on him, and he was like seven or eight. Yep. Mm. That's that's a big saying we have over here with the guys. How old's that deer? Well, he's either three or seven. Yeah. <laughs> <You> mm. <know? laughs> I mean, yeah. and then I, I'm just telling you, this slot that I, that I had, is that's the way to do it. I just got to, you know. I just got to sell it a little better. You got to get the jury to swing your way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, it, it's uh it's so like it's it, there's so much that that goes into it. I could I could talk on it for forever cuz it's just like like Jordan said if if he ever wanted an example to look at 
of someone who's like really talking to like i want to you know i want to manage my place and they have three thousand acres or whatever like look at what giles island is doing look at the program they're on the quality deer management yeah the whole herd yeah what i want to um how did you because this is something that's unique to y'all that or i would say so there's not many other folks out there doing it how did you how did y'all end up on having a you know you don't, y'all don't have like where a guy just goes and drops you off and goes yeah, there's your stand that is very unique to a free range operation you know i've I never been to a high fence but i've heard you know you got guys go sit with you select bucks whatever but here it's unique to its own there's no other place i know of like it well uh one-on-one guide service mm-hmm. that's that's the niche i think we have um that's keeps the mistakes down yeah it's a lot easier for us to train 12 guides and hold them accountable right uh to shoot the right deer than it is to train you know the the 300 uh, some odd hunters that we have we can't train them right that's impossible yeah and you can't train at a hunt club you can't train your 15 members how to do it Mm -hmm. and even if you do you know they're going to there's going to be some ground checking going on yeah mistakes are going to be made and and people say well oh you know three or four or five mistakes doesn't make it much it makes a big difference yeah. because you know the one the usually the mistakes that are made are the are the three-year-old super bucks that that score high right yeah you know that's the one that's the one that could have been a yeah. you know an exceptional deer yeah. one and day. so usually your mistakes are your top end deer coming up the pipe <laughs> that's exactly right so and yeah and i mean it works really good because our our clients are taken care of really well they develop relationships with these guides mm-hmm. and when we go out as a guide over here it's it's just like we got that bow in our hand mm-hmm. or that or that rifle over our shoulder because there's a competition going on yeah. between these guides yeah. you hear me yeah. uh, everybody wants to kill the big every guide over here wants to kill, have the biggest kill of the year every guide over here wants to have the most kills every year so it's that competition, that yeah. inside competition going on all the time. And, uh, of course, he wants that big tip, too, you know. <laughs> so he's, he's really taking care of his guests. Yeah. And and we've got some really good guys. And uh, that I think that's that's why we've been able to sustain uh, these high-quality bucks year in and year yeah. out. Like you said, because y'all have, it's been consistent. One of the coolest things I learned and got to see when I was working here was us guides were filming all these hunts and it wasn't just for the client to take home it was for your management yeah we started out and you know the the video camera is the best management tool in deer management Mm -hmm. uh, bar none because one of i mean probably the best thing you can do is is shoot the right age all right Mm -hmm. yeah you gotta have the nutrition you gotta have the cover you gotta have veterinary and you gotta have all of this and all of that but if you shoot them before they're old enough to get big, it hasn't done you any good. Yeah, it doesn't right? matter, so, right? So yep. shooting age is the biggest, most important thing you can do, and and the guide service provides that for us. Yeah, I would say obviously it works. Yeah. But that video camera, and, and to to learn these bucks, yeah, and to train these young guides coming in, we got all this footage to show them. How old do you think that deer is? Mm-hmm. You know. Man, I, three? No, no, no. That ain't three-year-old deer. That's four-year-old deer. Mm-hmm. I, you know? I didn't know the difference between a two-year-old and a five-year-old when I started here. I know because you shot every eight-point to come out. <laughs> he, he didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't strong enough. 
and and confident enough to shoot anything other than eight point. He he wouldn't, <laughs> but he shot every single one of it. Kind of, but he he won. He didn't have a strike. He said all his deer were of age. <laughs> I don't look. I told Jordan when he was explaining to me because you know obviously I'd heard of Giles, but I didn't know the ins and outs of the rules. And he was telling me, and I said, "Man, if I was if I was a guy out there, I would just shoot eight points and be safe." He said, "That's what I did." <laughs> <laughs> now we kill a lot of ten points over here, and yeah. um, you know they told me years ago, you know, a bunch of different people you know biologists whatever saying you're not going to be able to change the genetic makeup of your herd by shooting you know letting 10 points walk and shooting a bunch of eight points <laughs> they wrong yeah <laughs> you can if you do it over uh, a period of years because mm-hmm. we have seen an increased number of, of, of 10 points and everything mm-hmm. um, by shooting our eights just a year earlier than we shooting our tens i guess you know right um you're always gonna have eight points i don't care what you do that's just a dominant gene out there yeah uh, but we do kill a lot of multiple pointed deer. Yeah, nice ones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, uh, like I said, I, I think it all speaks for itself. And this place has been—I mean, we've had a blast so far. You know, I mean, hunting on the river is about—you know—it's special to me, special to all of us, I'm sure. And so, uh, some of the people that first time hearing about Giles Island, tell some of these top deer that y'all have taken off this place. It is impressive. Score well. I don't know. Let's see how many. Our wall's full. Um, we don't about run out of room in our trophy room in there. We we said we wouldn't go hang anything up in here unless it's 170 or better. And uh, so the wall's full of 170s or better. It's mm-hmm. like 30 deer in there. It's impressive. My favorite deer in there, you know, if, I mean, they're all nice, but like that was it was that nine point that was killed in 15? Yeah, I think so. And, Good uh, gosh. His name was Edward. Uh, that's an exceptional deer. We don't know. We didn't know that deer. He showed up in December in the Serengeti field down there. Uh, a bow hunter didn't quite get in range, mm. and uh, so we named him after that bow hunter, Ed Roundtree. So we named him Ed, and uh, boy, he showed up there right after Christmas the second time. But uh, Cherie Hillebrand was there with a rifle, her first time ever on the island. She'd been on the island two hours and killed that deer. Hmm. He's a nine point. He scores 186. Typical. And is it typical? Yeah. And um, that's to see him walking around on the hoof live. Mm-hmm. He looked like a, a a small elk. I'm telling you, it just yeah. I couldn't believe a deer had a rack like that. It's huge. I remember the, I was still in the guide message board then, and I got a video of him that night. They saw him, and oh my gosh. It's crazy. That's yeah. what I'm talking about when I say, like, I don't care where you go in the United States. Yeah. Like, a white-tailed deer like that, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm a deer of a lifetime. The second most impressive deer we have in there is uh, the Brock. Mm-hmm. And he's 20 points. He's he's a big, non-typical. And uh, he scored 248. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got some. He's yeah. got several 10-inch mass measurements. Yeah. 248. And we're in Mississippi. Yeah. We're in Mississippi. And I'm going yep. to add in again, like it may be obvious, but this is on the Mississippi River, 100% free-range whitetails. There ain't no fence involved. This is just wild deer doing their thing. Just letting them get old. Just, yeah, just letting them, giving them the nutrition they need and letting them get to the age they need to be. Well, you know, you got to keep your deer numbers down, too. Yeah. Yeah, that is. We didn't that, talk about doe harvest. That, go, that goes hand in hand with the nutrition. Because mm-hmm. if you got too many deer on your place, then they're not getting everything they need. So 
we shoot a lot of deer. Um, but if you want good hunting quality, and hunting quality determined by seeing deer on a regular basis, right, and, and numbers of deer, and and seeing the bucks, mm-hmm. that's hunting quality to me. Seeing the buck, you know, you got bucks because you got trail cameras out there, right? Mm-hmm. But are you seeing them in the daylight? The best thing you can do there is get that ratio right. Mm-hmm. If you can develop a one-to-one ratio like we have, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing your deer. Yeah. You're going to start seeing those bucks that you got on trail camera at night only. They mm-hmm. come out in the daytime. Why? Because the competition for a doe is much greater. Mm-hmm. They have to cruise. They have to go fight. All of a sudden, rattling and grunting starts working. You have some bucks start coming <laughs> yeah. to you. It's so, amazing what that ratio will do. Mm-hmm. And now that's hard to get in a lot of places because yeah. everybody doesn't want to shoot a doe. Yeah. I grew up in the Pine Rose, which everybody knows this. And man, I'd seen people rattling on TV and stuff. And I came over here, didn't even have a pair of rattling, rattling antlers. And it was Benji. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Take some horns with you in the morning. Huh? What are you talking about? Well, I, he gave me some and I took them. And that next morning, I started rattling. I didn't know what I was doing. And here comes Bucks. What in the world's going on? <laughs> That's that tight ratio, yeah. like he's talking about. Competition. That's amazing. That adds a lot. Yeah. Right there. Ain't no doubt. If you, if there's any way back home, guys, you know, at your hunting camp, you, you need to talk to your to your members, and y'all need to start whacking and stacking some does but and not, try to get that on, ratio right. Not on food plots in the afternoon. Well, you gotta you gotta pay attention to that. Pressure. Yeah. If you shoot shoot your does in the morning, just make a commitment to get them done early too, if you can. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mississippi's got this early doe season thing going on, you know, in November now, muzzleloader or whatever yeah. it is. So, I mean, you can you can get them done before that rut gets yeah. here. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, obviously, like I said, it's important. So what I mean, what have we covered? Like the things that make all this work. Obviously, I mean, we can talk through. I mean, we talked food plots, we talked habitat, yeah. we talked age structure, we talked hunting pressure, doe ratio. Do we leave anything out? Man. Only thing we left out talking about this place is the food. Other than that, that the food no, is good. That ain't got nothing to do with the deer, though. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, like I think I'm gonna come back here and duck hunt in a few months. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. that's something new we're starting this year. I mean, you know, we're right in the Mississippi Flyway, mm-hmm. and I mean, we we've shot ducks over here. You know, with the family, the mm-hmm. owner's family, and everything over all these years. Um, but we never we never sold duck hunts. Right. And why didn't we? Because um, our deer hunters don't like to hear all that racket. Mm-hmm. But and and I, duck hunting, the boom 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 of the duck hunting doesn't hurt the deer at all. Yeah, I mean I've been duck hunting many times, and and several times I've had, you know, all of us volley boom 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 shoot some ducks, and then 15 minutes later a rack buck walks that 40 yards in front of us mm-hmm. into our duck hunting set. <laughs> so. It doesn't hurt, but if our deer hunter's out there and he hears all that booming going on and he doesn't see any deer, he's going to blame it on that. Right. So that's why we never sold duck hunts. But here's the deal. We're surrounded by the Mississippi River. We got this live oxbow, old river around us. Right. And we got the locals coming in in their boat blinds and their duck hunting. And the law will not prohibit them from hunting the edge of that flooded timber right so we can't stop the boom boom booming anyway so if you can't beat them join them <laughs> so that's what we're going to be doing yeah uh if our deer hunters have to listen to it anyway and it doesn't hurt the deer hunting we're still killing deer left and right so but we're going to be out there killing ducks too mm. and we're going to do it uh 
uh, we'll do some out of a boat blind. Uh, we'll do some where we go out there in the flooded timber, mm-hmm. get out of the boat in some waders, go hide the boat, come back to the decoy set, stand by a tree, and just shoot some timber ducks. Right. We've got some blinds built on these sloughs and lakes on the interior of the island. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a stab in them every once in a while, and we're going to go where the ducks are, let me put it that way. Right. And we've got some really good little places back yeah, there. I would imagine. And I don't gonna doubt be, it. We're going to be putting in more this uh, first year, uh, just getting our toe wet, you know, with duck hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're making it available for people to book outright duck hunts. Mm-hmm. And it's a two-person minimum. We hunt them in the morning only. Or our existing deer hunters that we have in camp can do an add-on. Yeah. And they can do a duck hunt one day at a time if they want to. I'm going to have a guide here reserved just for that. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah. Cause we got, when the ducks come south, we got ducks. Yeah. I mean, that would be that. I mean, cause those are our favorite days at Cottonmouth anyway, when we got ducks and we can duck hunt in the morning and deer hunt in the afternoon. You know where I can get a duck call? Uh, no. yeah. Yeah. Jordan. You might can find one or two laying around. <laughs> <laughs> we got, some, we actually, uh, they got, we got some of the new ones coming out there. They're, dipped in that old school mossy oak bottom land they're sharp looking awesome and they sound like a duck too so you, it's a win-win situation there you go <laughs> i've heard old riley quack on call he ain't forgot how <laughs> oh i love the duck hunt man it's it's fun it's fun as i'll get out oh yeah and it's like it's the mississippi river the the flyway here it's hard to beat when they're here they are here and what we'll have you know you won't see pintails here but we we've always got woodies. Mm-hmm. That's one thing you can count on. Even if the ducks aren't south, we're gonna have some wood ducks here to shoot, mm-hmm. and that's your best tasting one anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, we're gonna have wood ducks all the time. We're gonna have mileage. We're gonna have gadwall. We're gonna have widgeon. We're gonna have teal. Mm-hmm. so i mean that's that's pretty much what we're gonna have. Yeah, I'll be my gander come by there if you want to shoot him. I shoot him. <laughs> I, I got to go duck hunting here on the weekends when we didn't have hunters in a couple times. And- that's pretty good. Yep. It was pretty good. We're excited about it. We really are. Because uh, it's, it, it really is a treasure. Oh, yeah. That we hadn't tapped into yet. Yeah. And this is going to be big for us, I believe. Good. I'm glad, And we're glad to be able to share it with, yeah. with everybody. And, you know, the diehard duck hunter or some of our deer hunters. Just You know, see, we got a, a deer hunter come in here and kill his buck on the first afternoon. Hey, he can book a duck hunt for the next morning. Yeah. You know. So. Win, win. <laughs> or you can do duck and deer. Duck hunt every morning and deer hunt in the evening. That's what, yeah. I'll see you back when that opens up. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, you, look, you have I left anything out? I think we covered it all. I think so. I think, yeah, man. Well, uh, Jimmy, thank you for your time. Well, Th- thank you for having us and Mossy Oak out here this week. And it's been a blast. Appreciate y'all, man cool deal well uh as always guys um feel free if you have any questions message the primos facebook page or instagram page that's going to do us for the day and thank y'all for listening to the speak the language podcast